Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and uh, we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today we're going to deal with the 15th chapter of Luke, most most of it, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. It is, uh, it is the story that we traditionally have come to call the, uh, the story of the prodigal son. <clears throat> and while there's a lot more in it than, uh, than the wayward son, he kind of has emerged as the focal point of the story. And he emphasizes his, his uh, return to his father, his reception by his father, emphasizes certainly one of the central themes of the, of the Lucan parables uh, about um, sinners. What's really actually happened is that Jesus is being criticized because he has attracted kind of um, a motley group who follow him, publicans and public sinners and so forth. And the Pharisees, who, who are the class of the righteous, um, <clears throat> are saying, you know, what kind of prophet is this guy? He, uh, he uh, can't discern between sinners and decent human beings like us, and he seems actually to favor um, these people who have, uh, in many, many ways, become kind of the lower echelons of society as far as their, as far as their, their uh, practice of their faith goes and as far as the... Uh, as they're rung on the social ladder. Some of them, of course, are probably wealthy. The publicans are probably wealthy, many of them. But nevertheless, they have sold themselves out to the Roman Empire <clears throat> to be their tax collectors, and it's, it's like the, the prodigal son. He goes off to a foreign land, obviously, to the land of pagans, and he serves them. And in the serving them, he becomes basically depraved. And so the uh, so the Pharisees are saying about the uh, the, the especially the publicans that um, well they certainly they're serving a foreign master how how much should a prophet associate with them deal with them and of course we have the classic case of Zacchaeus and uh, and uh, who repents and uh, tells Jesus that he will, he will be equitable in his collection of taxes. He will return what he has extorted and so forth. And Jesus willingly then goes um, to his home for dinner. Um, <clears throat> so this mode, and then there, there, is, there is also the, um, <clears throat> the parables that Jesus tells about the lost sheep and the lost coin and so forth, and then says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, the 99 righteous. Um, this kind of statement, of course, is going to be offensive to those who have been righteous. Um, one of the issues, of course, is that uh, when we think of ourselves as righteous, we can tend to attribute that righteousness to ourselves, to our own moral character, to our own strength of character, to our own will, and so forth. When, in fact... It's only that way because God has given us the grace and moved us in such a way that we cherish and we value that kind. He's situated in our birth situations in such a way that we grow up with these as personal values. Um, there are many people who do not grow up with these things as personal values, and their struggle is harder than ours. Um, 
<clears throat> because they have to arrive at it all on their own. And that's part of the story of, the, of this prodigal son, is that he, while he might have been raised with the values, he abandoned them. He, en- he ended up uh, inser- making him, putting himself in servitude to pagans and suffered the terrible consequences of alienation from his father, alienation from his world, until he comes to the point where he's virtually starving to death. And it is then that he decides to come home. And in deciding to come home, he doesn't come home to to um, dip into his brother's inheritance. He comes home willing to work as a servant on his father's estate because uh, as a servant, he at least will have a place to sleep and he will at least um, have food to eat. And, uh, and that seems to him an adequate compensation for his repentance. What he encounters, of course, is lavishness and excessiveness of the father's welcoming him home. And, uh, and it's like that in the other parables, the coin and the sheep. You know, there's great rejoicing. And uh, the widow calls in all of her neighbors to celebrate because she's found her lost coin and so forth. So this is now the father of the two sons, the father of the two boys, who... Um, <clears throat> who is now rejoicing because that which was lost is found. And so when we, when we move forward then in this, we encounter not only a background of Jesus' association with those people who are not, you know, the most respectable, and, uh, and in fact is the largest crowds that follow him seem to be from among that class of people, which caused the Pharisees to say, you know, that uh, this is... Uh, this just proves to us that he's not who he says he is, because if he were, he would know who these people were and he wouldn't associate with them. He would associate with us. And since he seems to be kind of adversarial with us, he must not be authentic. Or the other thing they can do, and this happens a lot, they might say, you know, he really is authentic. He really is kind of fulfilling the prophecies. And what does that mean for us? Who are we then? And... Um, but seldom, seldom do the righteous question themselves. And yet each of us has to question ourselves, no matter how righteous we are, because we have to check our motivations and we have to check how authentic that sense is, that feeling is in our heart. It's like forgiveness. When you speak to people about forgiveness, people feel bad sometimes because they know they should forgive, but they can't make themselves do it and feel it. <clears throat> And that's because they see forgiveness as an act of their will. And they can't understand why if they exercise their will to forgive, they can't feel it in their hearts. When the truth of forgiveness is, is the human heart is changed. We become empathetic to the person who has offended us. Empathetic in the way that we strive to understand what they're thinking. We strive to understand what their lives have been like. We strive to uh, to kind of get a grip on what is at the very core of their personhood and that they are a child of God and that God is with them and that God loves them every bit as much as he loves us. And I think that this is another uh, thing that comes and this is, this is uh, manifested in the elder son. <clears throat> the elder son feels like he should be able to control the, the attachment of his father to him that by my behavior, I should certainly, you know, 
be uh, more important to you than the one who kind of wasted wasted his inheritance and and served foreign masters and lived an immoral life. Uh, he even says, you know, the older brother even said he spent his life with harlots. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and and so, how could you possibly be joyful about him? You should be joyful about me because I'm the good one. I'm the one that's always done what I'm supposed to do, and uh, and and locked in my inheritance. You know, um, so it and. I suppose in a way, too, we can use this parable to come to a deeper understanding of the story of the workers that went into the vineyard at different, at different hours. They agreed to work for a set for a fixed wage, and when the time came for payment, the ones who went first received the fi- fixed wage they were promised. Um, and so, too, does the older son f- receive what is promised to him, a place in his father's house and a, and a right to inheritance. Um, then, however, in the workers in the vineyard, when the master, when the Lord um, pays them, the the ones who came in at the last hour, the same as he paid the, paid the first ones, the first ones are incensed, they're angry. Didn't we earn more of your benevolence? <clears throat> Didn't we earn <coughs> more of, of your generosity and your love and your respect? An appreciation because we worked the hot, the long, hot day in the field, and we should therefore get more than the other. This is <clears throat> this is so much a part of human nature, and it is so much a part <clears throat> of the inner structures of human nature, which Jesus calls to conversion. We don't earn much of anything. You know, there's the great debate in uh, with Protestantism about. Uh, good works and merit. And the Lutherans, of course, called what we, we talk about merit as works righteousness, meaning in some way, shape, or form, and they called it a form of Pelagianism, some way, shape, or form, whereby we own, we earn our own salvation. The Catholic Church says nothing like that. We don't earn our salvation. By cooperating with grace, we increase our capacity to receive more of it. So we cooperate and participate. We don't earn grace. It is a benevolent and a free gift of the Lord. It means simply God's love for us, and we cannot manage the love someone else has for us or the care someone else has for us. But by cooperating with them and growing close to them and participating in things of their lives, they certainly increase our capacity to care for them and their capacity to care for us. Um, that's the way we work. But, in, but increasing our capacity to receive God's benevolence is not the same as justly claiming God's benevolence, which nobody does. And here also, the elder son has no right, actually, to resent the extravagance of the father's joy over the return of the prodigal son. That's his to give, and it takes nothing away from the older son, just like God's love for sinners takes nothing away from the righteous. However, in the minds of the righteous, it often does. And as such, then, it becomes an issue for some people, for some people who are in it for what they get out of it and not in it for the love of the Lord and not in it because of their care for others and not in it because of the deep belief they have in the, 
in the importance of of living a, a good life as a means of contributing to the welfare of humanity and so forth. So <clears throat> we're we're into we're we're into this very very human issue, this very very human problem about. Um, about what this parable means and, and what it means for us um, as believing Christians, as those who are companions of the Lord along the way. And that our companionship with the Lord is a gift from him to begin with. Um, he put us in a situation, he, we, we came into the world in such a way that, that we were baptized and we had the opportunity then to participate in the redemptive order of, of creation. And in so far as we participate in that through our cooperation with grace, we move along the road to salvation as well. These are all very, very significant realities within the faith, and that's why these parables become so important. They become so important because they push the parameters, they push the, 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 the walls of our mind and of our heart further open. They make them open further to the presence and the grace and the truth of Almighty God. And, uh, and that we ourselves then should live with deep appreciation. The elder son in the parable of the prodigal son, he should be deeply appreciative of all that his father has given him, all his father does for him, of his opportunity to live a good life, of his opportunity to inherit his portion of the inheritance, all of those things. That should be a life of gratitude, and it should be a life of thanksgiving. Instead, it becomes an opportunity for jealousy, an opportunity for, uh, for resentment, against those whose lives have not taken the same course. And yet the Lord seems in some ways to have a great and exuberant love for sinners. Um, this is part of the theme of Luke's gospel, as Jesus reconciling with sinners, Jesus bringing sinners to him. Um, we, have, we have many stories like this within, within the scriptures, and Luke is particularly adamant about it. And now, but in the end of this parable, the second part of this parable, last part of this parable, it says, Now the elder son was out in the fields and on his way back as he drew near the house. He could hear music and dancing and calling one of his servants, he asked what it was all about. Um, your brother has come, replied the servant, and your father has killed the calf. He we had fattened because he has got him back safe and sound. The elder brother was angry then and refused to go in the house. And his father came out to plead with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have slaved for you and never once disobeyed your orders, yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But for this son of yours, when he comes back after swallowing up your property, he and his women, you killed the calf he, we had been fattening. So, <clears throat> this... This is the attitude of the Pharisees, that the very thing that Jesus condemns in the scribes and the Pharisees is manifest now in the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. He is the one who says, look how righteous I have been. Why should you, why should you associate with the ne'er-do-wells? Why should you associate with the, the riffraff? When you have us to associate with, we who have done everything, follow the law to the letter of the law, um, and dedicate our lives to uh, enforcing the observance of the law. 
um, all of these kinds of things. So, so why we, we don't understand your lack of affection for us? You know, and in a way, while it's legitimate, in a way, someone who practices the faith and who prays and so forth solely for the purpose of going to heaven is, of course, upset when the Father forgives and loves those who have not been quite so diligent in their quest for salvation. That when it's about me, and not in some way, shape, or form about the Lord, there, there is the, 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 the deep order <clears throat> of, uh, of virtue, and of, um, I don't want to use that word too loosely, but, uh, but the deep order of the reality of God's relationship with us is that we are all dependent on his mercy, all dependent on his forgiveness, all dependent on his understanding. We know that different people react in different ways, but we also know that many external forces in their lives um, tend to shape and to form a misinformation, misunderstanding, all of those kinds of things. Um, many of them, in uh, in some ways, um, deprived of love in, the, in their childhood. You know, w- want to be special to the Lord, and uh, and resent his his uh, affection going anywhere else. And uh, <clears throat> and I think I don't know. I I think that we have to to understand that the human condition is messy and that the human condition is certainly all over the place and very complicated and and very disorderly much of the time. And in the midst of that, the Lord has come to live and to die for for us, for all of us, saints and sinners alike. And so that when we can say, you know, well, we're going to discipline ourselves, we're going to do all we're supposed to do simply so we go to heaven, and uh, when there's any indication that anybody else but people like me are going to get there, we have a deep resentment. And, uh, and, and how foolish that is, because he loves us and he's taking care of us too. But it's just some of us are more work than others, that's all. And I think of the, of the, the 17th century Jesuit saint, Claude Colombier, who said, you know... <clears throat> in response to this kind of sense of where we belong in in the pecking order of Christians. Um, St. Claude says, um, the Christian is never scandalized because we all walk along the same precipice and it should not be surprising that some fall in. He also said, as far as what our, our relationship with the Lord is, he also says that we should love Jesus Christ so much and cling to him so tightly that if he decided to send us to hell, he would be obliged to accompany us. He's making two points, that the reason we are good if we are good is because God has made us good. He's, he's given us the grace, and he has put us in situations and structures of personality that desire to respond to that grace. He also wants us to know and to understand that the focus and the center around which our whole religious life um, um, rotates is the person of Jesus Christ and it is him we cling to and you know <clears throat> if we love somebody it's, if, and, and we'll talk about that maybe now in a minute if we love somebody 
um, then we're very happy when they do good things, and we're very edified to see the, the depth of their goodness and their kindness and their patience and all of that kind of thing, um, and, and are kind of amazed by it, um, not jealous of it, not resentful of it, not saying, well, you know, I've been your friend or, or your spouse or whatever, your father or whatever, your mother or whatever, and therefore, you know, um, you have to earn my affection for you. That's no. He, his, he, we've seen in the story of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. We've seen the the abundance of God's mercy, and that's what this parable is about. Also, the abundance of God's mercy for his for his wayward son, and uh, and the prodigal son in many ways become become the sinners. They become, uh, it becomes us when we sin, too. And, uh, and we can't resent his, his joyful welcoming us back through the sacraments of reconciliation into the fullness of the fold, more rejoicing in heaven. We've repented. And, uh, and, and, and his love for us continues, and his abundance of goodness and grace continues. And when we find people who don't accept it, and we find people who, for all sorts of reasons, avoid that kind of benevolence from the Lord, then we, 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 have, to, we have to say with St. Claude, a Christian is never scandalized. Because all of us, and, and I suppose we have a more common way of saying that there, but the, for the grace of God go I. Um, <clears throat> which is another way of saying the same thing St. Claude said. But, but we have to put ourselves into the realistic situation. The Pharisees are, in fact, the sinners. They are the ones who are using the religion to their own purposes and for their own benefits and for their own profit. They are the ones, therefore, who, in resenting and rejecting the, the ways of God, as it works itself out in the real story of humanity, as they begin to resent, resent that, um, they, they sin. They accuse themselves of pettiness of heart, of smallness of heart, of lack of, of, of sympathy and empathy for the people of God, the people of the covenant. They have a lack of a desire for conversion of heart because if everybody was like them, they couldn't be special. And, uh, and wanting to be special in the, in the work of the covenant um, makes them jealous of God's generosity and God's abundance. He doesn't, they don't want him to save sinners, which is why he came. They want him to hang out with them and reaffirm in them their, their position of, of uh, superiority and their position of righteousness and so forth. I think sometimes <clears throat> we find this attitude um, among, among the uh, among the saved, the ones the ones who say that um, you know that I'm saved, the Lord has saved me. I've had an experience of Jesus; He saved me, and now nothing I do counts against me. Um, some of those people would respond and say in the response that um, <clears throat> that He in 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 some way, shape, or form has. Uh, 
has chosen them because he's given them so many gifts and he's given them such a position. Um, and that, that somehow or other, he has saved me, he hasn't saved you, so, you know, pitiful you, um, you're going to have to go to hell while I go to heaven. And, uh, and in so doing that, you, you also then build up yourself into somehow more important, into the elect, into the ones who are chosen, into the predestined, and all of this kind of thing that comes from that kind of distorted notion of Christianity. That we have no concept of this. We have, this happened in the Reformation. That one of the things that Luther demanded because of his own scrupulosity and his own um, insecurity, he demanded that he be certain that he will be saved. And that was the psychological motivation for him to move away from the Catholic Church. Um, and and he, he uh, was adamant about that. The Catholic Church, we can't promise certitude. We trust. Our whole entrance into glory is walks along a road of trust and confidence and surrender to the will of God. Not, and does not based solely on our accomplishments. It's not based solely on, uh, on the great things we have done or the great people we are. It's based primarily on the benevolence of the Lord, whom is in giving us merciful forgiveness and acceptance and redemption, he has urged us along and invited us along the path of salvation. And insofar as we cooperate, insofar as we cooperate, we're on the road to heaven. But who knows the depth of the cooperation? Who knows what lies in the heart of another human being? Who knows what kind of an inner life a person has, no matter how disorderly they are on the outside? Um, who knows how much love a sad person has in their soul, a sinful person might have in their soul, that God can, re- can touch and, and activate and bring to fullness. We know none of that. And so any idea of being jealous or resentful of his benevolence to others is ludicrous. It's silly and it's juvenile. And that's what we see in the elder son in this parable. He's being ludicrous, silly, and juvenile. He has not grown up. He has not come to work for his father because he loves him. He works for it for what he gets out of it. And in so doing, there is no virtue in, in, in what he does. Um, because it's not for any, any object other than himself. And it becomes then a sort of selfish self-absorption. Those are the things that we have to be cautious of. And those are the things that this parable speaks to us about. It brings us back into the understanding and into the idea that God's love is generous, abundant, excessive. That we never need fear. We will not receive it if we ask for it. We will never be able to fear that we will be excluded from the kingdom of God because of the seriousness of our sins if we repent and ask the Lord's forgiveness. This can only happen in some kind of development of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As St. Claude says, we should cling to him so tightly that if he decided to send us to hell, he would be obliged to accompany us. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. 
Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Who bad?